All right, Maranatha, we can make our way back to our seats, please. Sorry for the interruption. Grateful for this morning. Hello again. Once, uh, once again, my name is Jeff. If you didn't catch that at the announcements, uh, and I am one of the elders here at Maranatha. Today, we're actually beginning a brand new sermon series in the book of Acts. So if you want to open your Bibles there to the book of Acts, it's in the New Testament right after the Gospels. Uh, if you're going to use one of the Bibles in front of you, that'll be page 855. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to take that Bible home, that'd be a gift from us to you, so please, uh, please feel free to do that. And uh, we're going to begin something new, is that we're actually going to have somebody come up and read the scripture for us at the top of the sermon. So today we have Kevin McCarthy, who's going to read it for us. Here he is. All right. It's Acts 1, 1 through 5, and as we usually do here, if you're able, you can stand out of reverence for the word. It'll be on the screen as well. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kevin. You can have a seat. We will pray. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we can come and hear from you. Thank you for this gift that we have through your spirit, to be able to understand this truth. And Lord, so we ask for your help today. We ask for the ability to discern the wisdom that you've laid out for us as we begin this new sermon series. Help us to be the church. Help us to glorify you and honor you in all that we do. It's in your son's name we pray, in the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, as we kick off this series, let me take just a moment to identify something that over time I think is going to be a blessing for us who are here at Maranatha, and that is the fact that in order to address all the things that are in the book of Acts, and in order to preach through the entire book of Acts, we are going to be studying this narrative for around a year or two. We are going to be in this book a long time. Now, uh, of course, we're probably going to take a couple breaks here and there because of seasons like Advent and Easter, and possibly even if we find it appropriate to take a moment to dig a bit deeper into a particular doctrine that the Scripture is revealing. But the reason why I think that is going to be a blessing for us, us who are here at Maranatha, is because we're not just going to breeze through this book. Instead, we are going to embrace together this joyful experience of edification as we diligently study the Word together as the church. I think we'll recognize the, the joy that it will be, the blessing that it will be to be in one singular book for a long period of time as we go deep and rich into God's word. That's why I think it's going to be a blessing. And with that hope, with this understanding, instead of um, uh, being concerned about this time, we have this hope. We, with the hope that we will come together and receive this great knowledge of Christ's word and work for the church and through the church, as that is what the book of Acts is all about. As well, let me also acknowledge something that Kyle Boffy and I were talking about uh, this week as we were discussing this new sermon series in Acts, and that is how this narrative is very much non-linear. 
It doesn't really follow a, a pattern per se. Because, and Kyle wisely said that because when you look at the epistles, some of the other books in the New Testament, many of them focus on one theme. Many of them focus on maybe a, a singular main point, whereas it is here with the book of Acts. At one moment, we're discussing the Holy Spirit. The next, we're hearing this lengthy sermon from Peter about Jesus and the gospel. Then there's this horrible story about Stephen. And as that happens, we meet this guy, Saul, who we also call Paul for some reason. And then uh, Philip shows up and he baptizes some random stranger and then seems to be teleported to another city. Like there's just all sorts of things that happen. Not to mention, we meet a magician who wants the power of the apostles. This is a crazy book. It's just not as linear as some of the epistles are. And all of that is just in the few first few chapters. We also learn about spiritual gifts. We learn about things like healing and spirit and speaking in tongues and prophecy and really easy, easy subject matter like that. And God's people just keep getting in trouble all over the place. They're getting arrested and thrown in prison. And through it all, what we see is that Christ is building his church and how he uses his people to do that very thing. It is glorious, it is good, and it's going to be exciting. He builds his church for his glory and for our good. Now, if you're not feeling overwhelmed by that as much as maybe I am of what is to come, I hope that you are at least uh, slightly excited to get into this study. But before we do that, let me say one more thing. I know I've laid out a few caveats, but let me say one more thing. This book is going to challenge us, right? This book is going to, it will challenge all of us because we all will be forced to look at what we have been taught in the past as well as what we currently believe today as we will be forced to consider whether or not those things actually match up with what God has said in his word. Most of us, if not all of us, come to this particular book with presuppositions with a, an already sort of formulated idea of what this looks like. Therefore, as a sort of preemptive request, as we get rolling into this new sermon series, it would be this. I would like to ask each of us to hear what I and the other elders of Maranatha would hope for as we go forward together. And our hope is that we all will operate with a sense of charity and humility as we together learn from the Scripture as we together work as one united body to learn from Scripture, as we together learn what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom. This is not our kingdom, this is God's kingdom, and not become divisive towards each other when we feel pricked by something that God's word lays out, okay? That's our hope, yes. Because Maranatha, it's okay to debate. It is okay to debate. It's okay to discuss all of those third and fourth, even secondary doctrines, whereas we must boldly stand for what is true when we uh, must address the first-degree doctrines. And those first-degree doctrines are this. Those are the doctrines that are about God and about the salvation that he is the one who gives. Those are the ones that we must stand for and fight. And the other ones we can debate and discuss um, with one another in faithful charity. So let's begin, okay? Okay. Now with that, let's, uh, let's get on with the text. And in our text, what we can notice right off the bat is that this book, the book of Acts, actually is a prequel, or has a prequel, rather. This book has a prequel. If you would, look back at verse 1. The writer Luke says this, verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now here, this is Luke's way of telling Theophilus 
and us that he is just simply picking up the story from where he left off in his own gospel account, right? Luke wrote one of the gospels. And he is also giving Theophilus and us the reason why he has written this second book. Because in the first book, Luke covered all that Jesus began to do and teach, which is meant to allow us to expect that this writing is going to inform us and Theophilus about what Jesus continues to do and to teach, right? He began this information. He began this exhortation about all that Jesus uh, did and taught. So what are those things? What is that? What is Luke referring to? Well, in the first book, which is again Luke's gospel account, it's actually... Uh, which is actually sort of a, a written documentary um, created from eyewitness testimony. That first book was about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, as well as ascension. At the end of Luke's gospel, he talks about the ascension. And like the other gospels, Luke wrote about the very reason that Jesus came down from heaven and why he did what he did in order to complete his purpose and mission here on earth, which the Father sent him to do. But now, in this work, in this book that we're calling Acts, or that which are called Acts, we are being led forward in a new way. We are being led forward in sort of a, a different way. Not one that's unplanned for, not like that. Not like this is a surprise, as if Jesus went away to be with the Father and he just sort of left things for us to, to, to simply be figured out and hoped that we wouldn't mess it all up. Rather, the responsibility of fulfilling the Father's will, which again, Jesus was sent to do, the responsibility of fulfilling the Father's will that was given to Jesus continues on through us, us who are his church. He gives us this responsibility. He allows us to be a part of this responsibility. And we continue on as his church with the appropriate recognition that the Christ, our Messiah, has ascended to the rightful place, which is at the right hand of the Father. We understand who he is. We understand where he sits with his authority and sovereignty. And all of this, all of what Luke is sort of summarizing when he says, when he says in the first book I began to teach about, all of that really is just the buildup for the rest of what is revealed in the book of Acts. This is just the introduction. So let me read, let me reread rather, those first three verses, it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. Again, what Luke has done here is he is referencing what he's already written about. Okay, when we get that, he's, this is what he's telling us. He says, I've already written these things, so go back and read them. This is what I'm going. I'm, I'm continuing on from here. And, and again, I think we get that. But I'll ask you this. What specifically is the benefit in beginning this way? What specifically is the benefit? Why not just get on with what comes next, right? Why hearken back to what he has already said? Well, if you want the truth, then you need proof, right? If you want to depend on truth, then it will come with proof. And the proof that Luke is showing us here, something that we can base all of the rest of what he's going to communicate, 
The proof that Luke has shown us is there to point us to the biblical reality that Jesus can and does continue to lead and be with us, his church. He has ascended, but he continues to be and lead us, his church, which again is to be understood from what Jesus did and taught in the Gospels. You see, all of what Luke is about to say is dependent on one reality. Everything in the book of Acts is dependent on one reality, and that is that Jesus, in fact, truly is who he claimed to be, which is proven by his resurrection from the dead. Everything that comes next in Acts is simply founded on the truth, the reality that Jesus is who he says that he is, and that is proven to us by his resurrection. And that is why Luke begins by reminding Theophilus and us and anyone who's reading this historical account that Jesus actually did, in fact, show himself to all sorts of people at all sorts of times in all sorts of ways over a total of 40 days. Again, as a way to prove that he, in fact, did conquer death just like he said he did on the cross when he said, it is finished. All that Jesus said came true. All that he came to accomplish, he accomplished. And let me give you an example of this thing that Luke is sort of doing or, or pointing back to. Let me give you an example um, from what he himself recorded. Luke recorded in Luke 24, verses 13 and through 35. He said this. He gives us a story about these two men who are walking away from Jerusalem down the road to Emmaus. And they, as they were walking, they were talking. And as they were talking, uh, they were talking about the events that had just happened a few days earlier, which were, in fact, that Jesus, who was supposed to be their redeemer, had been condemned to death and, in fact, crucified on a cross. But then Jesus shows up in this story. Jesus reveals himself to these two disciples, and he begins to walk with these two men. Now, the reality for these two men was this, as it was the same for many people at that time in history or in that, that very uh, unique 40 days. Many knew about the possible Messiah. They, many knew that this potential Messiah had come and he was sort of making his transition, and met, but also many of them knew that he died. So many heard that he was coming. And many heard that he had died this horrible death. But in those beginning moments where we find this story, in those moments and those early days, that was the extent of what the majority knew. That he was possibly coming, and now that guy who was possibly the Messiah had died. Because at that moment, there were only a few people who actually knew the truth that Jesus had come back to life, which is why, at first, they didn't recognize him. And to be fair... Jesus, in his resurrected body, didn't look much like how many of the people, in fact, saw him, right? He looked different. That's why Mary didn't recognize him. So when Jesus asks these men what they were talking about as he approached them and walked with them, they sort of sadly say, or they, they sort of sadly ask him back, have you not heard the news? Like, who is this guy? Are you the only guy in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Have you not heard that the man who is going to rescue us from our oppressors is dead? How do you not know this, man? But then Jesus did what Luke is reminding Theophilus in us about. He then opened their minds and taught them about how all the law and prophets 
are about him. About how he has come to do, or what he has come to do, and about what he will do. And then what follows next in this story is they, they go together and they sort of convince him to come in and sit with him in the city and have a meal with him and they eat together. And once Jesus breaks some bread in front of them and hands it to them, there in an instant, their eyes are opened and they recognize that he is Jesus. In that moment, they recognize that he is who he is. You see, Jesus, uh, what Jesus taught them as he explained, all of what the scriptures were revealing was how this was always, everything was always about him and his kingdom. And that their joyful and expectant hope in this uh, coming perfect kingdom, which all of God's people long for, we too long for that better country, we too long for that perfect kingdom to finally come, it would only come about through him. That is what he was revealing them. That is what he showed them as he handled all of the law and prophets and revealed to these two disciples that it was all about him, that it was all about his kingdom, and that that kingdom, that perfect kingdom, would only come about through him. But timing is everything. And of course, we know God's timing is perfect, which is why, going back to Acts 1, he told his apostles and disciples to wait for something. He told them to wait for something that will come from the Father. He just wanted them to wait for the helper. The helper which we learn about in the Gospels is the Holy Spirit. And verse 4, if you would, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Now there's a lot to say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot to understand and unpack. It's quite uh, in-depth study. And we're not going to be able to cover all the aspects of that biblical truth today. It would just be too much, but don't worry because throughout the book of Acts, we're going to continue to, to uh, that information is continue to be divulged and, and informed us, but we are going to cover a bit of it. Therefore, since this is just an introduction to the book of Acts, I'm going to give us a portion of what this baptism of the Holy Spirit actually means, and that's going to, again, be okay because we're going to continue to build on that as we make our way through this book. So I'm just going to say this. John the Baptist's activity of baptism. So John the Baptist, the guy in the wilderness with the camel coat and the locusts and the honey. The activity of his baptism was different than this baptism of the Spirit that Luke is bringing up here. And the reason why I say that, the reason why I say that it is different is because just like our baptisms, we do not impart anything to a person when they are baptized. We don't have any sort of power to impart to the person who, well, gets baptized over here at Maranatha. You see, when John the Baptist was baptizing people, he did so, yes, as a way to call them to repentance, but that was to be the way of bringing within them this recognition and preparation for the Messiah to come. So he called them to repentance, this recognition that this was one day coming. And this baptism that John performed outwardly with water 
foreshadowed the inward spiritual cleansing that would inevitably come from the Christ when he baptizes those who had faith with the Holy Spirit. See, so just like our physical baptisms represent and help us to identify with Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection and the spiritual cleansing that we are given through the Holy Spirit, that is the same way of John's baptism to, in, in that way of repentance. But Jesus is the one who inevitably, inwardly, spiritually cleanses us when he would come, when he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit, essentially immersing us in his presence and the eternal promise of salvation. But notice this as well. Notice Jesus' words. Because Jesus says that this will happen in a few days later, in a few days to come. Now, wait a minute. Who is Jesus talking to? Right? If, if we are at the moment of salvation, the moment of our redemption, our uh, restoration, we are, are cleansed and we are given the spiritual righteousness of Christ, how then can this happen a few days later? Are these not the same men and women who already believe? Are these not the same people who already know that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who is foretold about in all of the scriptures? Who is Jesus talking about? Yes, it is these people who he is talking to. Yes, these are the same people whom the gospel proclaims believed and belonged to him as they are now children of the kingdom. Therefore, the reality of our new life in Christ that comes about by the instantaneous indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is our eternal salvation and the very reality that promises us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that reality is not negated by Jesus' words here, but rather complements another truth that is also so wonderfully glorious as we try to understand the full extent of this baptism with the Holy Spirit. You see, what Luke is referencing here as he's quoting Jesus, what he is pointing us towards is the day of Pentecost. We know that's coming in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. That day is the day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon those with faith in an incredible measure. And by connection with that reality, Luke is trying to help us to see that the Holy Spirit baptizes us not only to bring about the righteousness of Christ in and for us, but also to give us the right sort of power to live out that life that God has given to us and therefore calls each of us to live. Amen. Amen. There's this recognition of both salvation as well, as well as sanctification, this process. Now, I know that's a lot. I know I laid out a whole bunch of information, so let me try and simplify. The Messiah how they referred to him in the Old Testament, the Christ, how he referred to him in the New Testament, that is Jesus, he spiritually breathes life into every believer, and that breath is his spirit, which is also known as the Holy Spirit. And that ever-present power, which again is the Holy Spirit, is what empowers us, his people, to rightly serve Jesus, who is our Lord, as he is the one who prepares us and enables us to do the ministry that is meant to reach the world for his glory and our good. Amen. Amen. Now next week, that's actually the command that we're going to be learning about in the rest of chapter 1, or at least up until verse 11. So I'm going to leave that idea there, but that's the command to take this Life, this power given to us in the Spirit to go and continue on the mission 
throughout the world. I'm going to leave that there for right now, though. But Maranatha, as we're going into this book and as we're sort of just beginning with this introduction, I want you to see that so much of this book is having us work at trying to understand the Spirit's work that's going on within the church. Why it's been given to us, how it empowers us, how it moves in and through the people of the church, so much so that although I do think it's appropriate to call this book the Acts of the Apostles, there's so much going on that I think it's just as faithful to call this the act of the Holy Spirit because that is what empowers us as the church. It is how we relate to God. It's how we are able to see and hear and even have hearts to receive the thing we pray for almost each and every week. It's through the power of the Spirit. Therefore, with that understanding, I'm going to end this sermon with this portion of Scripture. I'm going to end with something that John says, and it's really Jesus' words, and I hope that it is received as this hopeful and encouraging sort of exhortation to recognize all that is done for us by him through the Spirit. And it's there to remind us of the promise that we have been given by the Father through Christ. Remember, he says, wait for the promise of the Father. We have the promise of the Father today. This is John 14, 15 through 18. It says this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Maranatha, I hope that we receive that again with joy, with uh, gladness, with thankfulness, because that is Jesus' promise to us, to all people who believe and love him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gift of your spirit. We're grateful for the fact that you allow us to be your church. Thank you, Lord, for preparing our hearts for this recognition that that you are who you are and that we have evidence of that through your resurrection. Help us, Lord, to to walk in this world as um, humble heralds, bold servants, unashamed disciples. Thank you, Father, for the truth. Thank you for the reality of the blessings that are given to us in your Son. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.